I'll be reading from Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Are you sensing the brush of angels' wings as this time in our lives go by? Do you know the presence of the Lord is with you and is among us? And do you have an openness, a, a faithfulness to say, Ah, there's a little bit more of the Lord with us. Do you know one way that you can know that the presence of the Lord is with you? And this is consistent throughout Scripture. This is a biblical principle. Have you been filled with a sense of awe and fear? Now, this is not the kind of fear that when somebody jumps out of the corner and says, boo, fear. This is the kind of fear that when something so incredible happens, have you ever said this phrase? Something, you, you, maybe you're at an intersection and you just didn't pull out when the light turned green and somebody came flying through the ex intersection. You said, whoa, that was, what do you say? That was scary. And it wasn't boo scary, it wasn't horror movie scary, it was wow. Something could have happened and didn't. And sometimes it's not the avoidance of something bad. I'm sitting there in a tradition that our family has had over generations of Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, yes, Christmas Eve, you open presents. And I'm sitting in a circle with four generations of my family. And I didn't, I didn't want anything except that moment to just kind of be filled up in a very special kind of way. And to a certain extent, you have to say, wow, that's scary for such good things to be in this feeble, frail, broken life. And yet there it is. When the presence of the Lord is with us, there is a sense of awe and fear that should come among us and should be a part of us and just kind of our, our, our senses tingle a little bit. Wow, there's more here than I thought there was. And what I, I would ask you, have you sensed the presence of God? It's a little bit like lightning, that awe and fear kind of thing. From a distance, lightning is a wonderful thing to observe. You don't get as much of it here because we have such tall trees and we don't really have hills to get up on. Occasionally we'll have a thunderstorm out in the gulf and you can go out to the beach or the, or the pier out there and you can watch the storm out there and see the, the lightning. Where I grew up in Belton, there was a dam, Belton Dam, built way up high. And you could see for miles and miles and miles and could see those thunderstorms rolling in and the beauty of the lightning. It's always beautiful until it starts getting close enough, right, to sort of make your heart kind of when the thunderclap hits and it, you can feel it. It's not any fun anymore when you're on a, a mountain in Colorado and just past noon in the summertime, the static electricity every single day basically builds up enough 
that the clouds need to release some electrical energy. I have been on a mountain when we had to ab abandon a ridge, put our ice axes, it's a piece of metal, in the rock and get under something because literally the hair on your arms was standing up. It's no longer beautiful and majestic. It is then, at that moment, scary because there's more power there and more light there than you really want to deal with. With God, His presence can be incredibly comforting. And it brings us so much. It warms our hearts. But the nearer it gets, the more we are just like Zechariah. The more we are just like Mary. And the more we are just like the shepherds that Callan just so ably read about. It is scary. Luke tells us, Luke tells us in this story, Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and this word, the glory of the Lord. And any time that you see the glory of the Lord show up in the Bible, the earth starts shaking and people start falling on their faces because something incredible, something that the Bible unabashedly calls the fear of the Lord, fills them because the presence of the Lord is so near. The glory of the Lord shown about them and skipping down a little bit and skipping down a little bit and suddenly there was with the angel that one angel who delivered that message there was a multitude of the heavenly host so I'm just kind of curious how do you like your angels when the heavenly post appeared when the messenger comes how do you like your angels we, I think, like them, or maybe we like, want them to be cute, kind of childlike. Predominantly feminine is sort of our, our best sort of picture of them, it seems, because that's the one that gets repeated over and over again. It's very interesting that if you survey the Bible, while there are some who say there aren't female angels, I'm absolutely not willing to go there. We just don't have mention of female angels being messengers of God, but my guess is kind of part of God's creation, male and female, so I'm, I'm not going away, going, not going that far. But we kind of like them cute and cuddly. We like them where we can hang them on a tree, or maybe we uh, put them on, in a display up, up on a top, of a top of a tree kind of thing like that. Maybe we prefer them to be relatively benign, pretty, and maybe there's a bunch of them. And maybe the form is not all that terribly familiar, but they're still pretty benign. They're at a distance. I particularly like this picture because the shepherds, as opposed to falling in awe and terror, as the text tells us, they're just kind of like at a, at, a, at a movie theater, kicking back, wow, this is kind of cool, you know, kind of deal like that. I think we really like them benign. Beautiful, but just sort of beautiful in the sense of a decoration of sorts. Unfortunately, this is not the biblical picture either. They can be glorious, right? We like shiny angels, right? And when the glory of the Lord shows up, we want light to be there. And so they can be very glorious and shiny, but we still want them to be relatively familiar. We want them to be friendly looking. We want them to have a smile on their face. And by the way, the angel that appeared to Zechariah and the angel that appeared to Mary... And the angel that appears with the message to the shepherds, all the first line they say is, we know that you're scared because we're here, but don't be afraid. And so we like friendly 
angels. But even that is not necessarily, in fact, I would say, that is contrary to the biblical picture. My guess is we don't expect them to be threatening at all. We expect them to be light, but we kind of like them in a, in a light in the sense of, oh, that's kind of like a light bulb shining in a dark place, not filling the entire sky, the filling the entire night sky with a light that is beyond our ability to fully perceive. We don't expect them to be threatening. And by the way, we really, really, really don't want them to be armed. Angels with weapons is kind of contrary to our modern sensibilities about what we want to see with angels. The phrase, though, the phrase that Luke uses specifically is a phrase that he's reaching into the Old Testament. The phrase is, host of heaven. And we can translate it in lots of different ways, but in the original language, it's a specific construction, host of heaven. And it has a very specific meaning because it should actually be translated and more accurately be translated, armies. Because when you look at the word in the Old Testament, it is always the description that is given to the Israelite host as it went out to do battle. Or an enemy, say the Assyrian or the Babylonian army as they are coming. The host is coming. But there's also specific language about the host of heaven. And so, the army of heaven... The army of God shows up, and we should not be surprised by their reaction. They were, say it with me, terrified. I would invite you to go back and look. Zechariah is afraid. Mary is afraid. The shepherds are terrified. And for good reason. The work of the host of heaven... Was always the host of heaven was at work when Israel was brought out of Egypt. You remember that story. How God single-handedly, and again the description is often, and particularly when the, the Bible, the Old Testament writers reflect back on what happened in the Exodus, it was God's host, the host of heaven, who were fighting for Israelite and defeating the strongest army on the world at that time, the Egyptian army, Defeating them without the Israelites lifting a single weapon. It was the host of heaven who accomplished that. The host of heaven would be utilized, would be working for Israel as they were driving out the peoples in front of them in the promised land. It was God's military force working above and beyond them. When you think about why did the walls of Jericho fall, the Bible would say because the host of heaven showed up and knocked them down. It is that same host that shows up in that field outside of Bethlehem to those shepherds. And the reason that they would be terrified in addition to the glory of the Lord and in addition to this military, heavenly military force showing up. Yes, their swords and spears may have been sheathed and not pointing at them. The reason they were terrified is that in addition to fighting for Israel... When you read books like Jeremiah and Amos, you understand that the prophets say the host of heaven are coming 
to destroy Israel because Israel has been so faithless that their testimony in the world has completely failed. And God says, I can't let them continue as a nation and have integrity with my message that I am a good God. And so the host of heaven will come to destroy and does come to destroy Israel. Yes, there are military armies. But when you read the prophets, those military armies are driven and their success is accomplished not just by their military strength, but by the host of heaven fighting against Israel for God. There is also the language of the day of the Lord. And again, the host of heaven is engaged in this when all wickedness will be purged from the world. And again, if I'm somebody who is sitting in a, in a, in a poor home or stable, maybe I think, yes, please take care of those guys. But you never know where the line is between those that the day of the Lord is coming to seek vengeance on and those that the Lord is coming to lift up. And so it was that they were terrified. But terror is not their message. Amen? On this night, they wanted to proclaim glory to God. We're not showing up here shiny and mighty and fearful to scare you. We are showing up to praise God for what he is doing. Something is changing in the world tonight and we want you to know about it. And Luke wants to be sure that we read about it so that we can know about it. Glory to God. And then the true good news of their message and the reason that it is a message of joy and not fear is that the proclamation is and on earth peace. Somebody say, Hallelujah. God's peace to all mankind. God's peace to those who love him. God's peace on me and you. God's peace on the world. No matter how rebellious it may be, God wants his peace to come on us. Amen? And we, in turn, have the opportunity to be that peace. To have that peace in our life. To be that peace in our families, in our friendships. And even more, to be that peace in the world. The next phrase, if you read your Bible, is, is, is difficult to translate because it seldom gets translated exactly the same way. Among whom he favors, on those he is pleased with, on whom he, his favor rests. There's even an, an ancient tradition, this is the King James Version, peace on earth and goodwill. And the idea could be that we, we want to be nice to each other, but in reality, and goodwill to men is God's goodwill upon men. Whatever the translation may be, it was God's desire that His favor be extended to the earth. Extended to us through the gift of Jesus. And this is not a peace that comes because we've gotten ourselves all lined up and we're doing exactly the right thing. And we, we recognize that, oh, I've, I've got, I'm getting things right, so God's peace remains with us. No. Say it with me. It's a gift. Can you say gift? A gift from God that his peace would come to us. His favor is extended through us through the gift of Christ. This theme and this idea of, of Jesus being this this peace offering from God, not only is established right here at his birth by the angel and the host of heaven, 
But if you read the gospel, what you read is Jesus living into the peace that he wants to create with his people. He wants to create peace in those lives of people who are tormented by demons. And he throws the demons out. He wants to create peace in those who are blind and lame and lepers. He wants to bring peace into their lives. He wants to, for us to understand God's word in a much more powerful sort of way and understand it not as a burdensome obligation, but as a freeing faithfulness and trust that we can have towards God and particularly a loving favor that God wants to have towards us. That idea will be developed in every single thing he does, literally, until he goes to the cross and at the cross... What are those words that he says? And he says it to the people that are near. And he says it to the people that are a little too far to hear it completely. But he says it and it echoes through generations and millennia and will echo until he comes back again. Father, say it with me, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You see, even at the end of his life, he was still representing and bringing that idea of peace. Don't you love the way I, we all memorized? Maybe you, you didn't. This is the first verse I memorized. My dad was the one who made sure I memorized. John 3.16, say it with me. By the way, whatever version you say is fine. Don't worry about it. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believer, any whosoever people, whosoever believeth, right? Whosoever, who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But have you memorized the next one? Because God didn't send Jesus in the world to condemn the world. And isn't that so often the picture that people want to paint of Christians in the church, that you're just here to condemn others? That should never be the picture that is painted of us, number one. And number two, it is always an inaccurate picture of who God is and what he's doing through Jesus. He didn't send Jesus to condemn. He sent Jesus to save. To save me, to save you, to save those. Pick your favorite sin that you don't like. That you think somehow or another you're better because you don't have to struggle with that sin. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's same-sex attraction. Maybe it's take your pick. And you want to say, yeah, they've got a problem. And instead, God says, I didn't come to condemn them. I don't want them to stay there. I don't want that brokenness to continue in their life. But I came even to save, say it with me, save them, to save us. So if we're going to be God's peace in the world, I want to call us to a couple of things. Being God's peace, if God proclaims peace to us, it is always our obligation Our sense of being called by God into that peaceful relationship produces a responsibility to be that peace. And I want to point out two things real quickly. First of all, being God's peace in the world means that we are embracing the keys of forgiven and forgiveness. Walk with me just for a moment. Jesus wants, for those of you 
for those of us who are trusting him. Again, not living a perfect life, but are putting our lives entrusted to Jesus. We have represented that in the waters of baptism. He has raised us to a new life. And in that life, he has no intention for us to live in a sense of burdensome guilt. We are forgiven. God's peace remains on us and he wants to be in peace with us and us to be in peace with him. We are forgiven. And we make the mistake of Christians with confusing the idea of having a soft and repentant heart with walking around with a load of guilt. And that is not God's intention. Jesus didn't die on the cross and God didn't raise him from the dead for you to feel guilty. Amen? If you have responded to Christ in love and if you are continuing with a soft, repentant heart, he wants you to know that his forgiveness flows on you all the time. Amen? We sang a song, Glorious Impossible. And you may think, the sin in my life would be impossible for God to overcome, but his glorious impossible truth is that he has forgiven all that is, all that was, and all that will be in your life because you've put your trust in him. Secondly, though, if we have experienced that, forgive, that forgiveness ourselves, we are called to be people who extend forgiveness to others. Amen? You ever notice the Lord's Prayer? Lots of statements about things that God does. A few requests. Give us this day our daily bread. And then forgive us our sins, trespasses, debts, whatever you choose to account for it as. It's the only phrase that has a, a condition. As we forgive those who sin against us. And whether that's simply being a little short and saying things that you don't intend to because you've become impatient and you need to ask for forgiveness in the simplest little relationships in your life. Or whether it is the idea that you have long ongoing grudges with other people. And forgiveness is not saying that I condone what you're involved in because, again, it's part of the brokenness of the world and God doesn't want you to live in that. But I'm not going to be the one that condemns. I'm going to be the one that steps into the relationship with a sense of I want forgiveness to be a part of this relationship. Amen? So if we're going to bring God's peace in the world, forgiveness and forgiven have to be in the center key of it. But secondly, I want us to recognize that if we're going to be God's peace in the world, we've got to be empathizing with the reality that God comes to us, not us coming to God for his peace. We didn't go up and say, God, give us your son. We didn't go up and say, we want to be there with you. God said, at this moment, I am ready to send my son. It was God's initiation. Amen? I am thankful of the gift that he's given in Christ. But do I live in a way that recognizes that peace is not something that somebody has to earn. Peace is something that I want to extend even into the most contentious situations in my world. Where there is disagreement on basic fundamental things, I still want to be the one who initiates a sense of peace. A sense that I don't want there to be conflict between us. 
Yes, there will always be truths that we will argue about. But I want that discussion to be in a relationship of peace that you don't have to earn, but instead a peace that I am willing to give. The empathy that says, I'm going to take the first step towards you, even if you're not necessarily willing to step towards me. Because God took the first step towards us in sending Jesus in a way that we could never, ever have taken the first step on. Amen? Forgiveness and empathy. The glory of the Lord shone about them. The glory of the Lord shone about them. The reality is that God sending His Son into the world is a statement of, I want my glory to dwell with you. When Jesus left, He said His Spirit was coming, and, and in that way God could continue to be with us. The glory of the Lord doesn't want to just shine out there towards us, but it wants to be in us and shine within us so that the world can see not how good we are, but how wonderful God is. And He wants to bring that glory to dwell in and around you. At this time, we're extending a, going to sing a song. It's called an invitation. And it is my hope that in your heart, you will choose to take a step. That you will choose to take a step a little closer to where God wants you to be. You can have a conversation with your neighbor. If you're online, you would be welcome to start a conversation with those of us here by texting us your question or your desire, as it were. How do I let the glory of God be a part of me? You can text the number that's on the screen there, 979-217-3300, and that'll start that conversation. But during this song, if you wished to come forward and say, I need to know how a little more of God can be a part of me, because don't we need a little more Jesus in our life? Don't we need a little more hope? Don't we need a little more joy? And don't we, in our world today, don't we need a lot more peace? Jesus is the only answer to that. And I'd invite anyone, whether it's a conversation with your neighbor, friend that's sitting next to you today, whether it's a phone call with someone later today, whether it's a text that comes in, or whether you want to come forward and say, I need the help of this church to put a little more Jesus, a little more of the glory of God in my life, then during this song, won't you come as we stand and sing? Tears are falling, hearts are breaking, how we need to hear from God. You've been How I wish we would.